Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are continuing our celebration of Black History Month with a discussion of the movie Black Panther, So this should be a lot of fun, really interesting. Um, It might get emotional. Who knows? When we're talking about Chadwick Boseman, it might actually get emotional. But it should be a lot of fun. But But before we get into that, before I have the panel introduce themselves, just a quick housekeeping note. Of course, we are taking listener support for as little as 99 cents a month to $9.99 a month. You can help the show. You can help us get better audio equipment, better editing equipment. All that good stuff. And hopefully, eventually, we're going to have a website and everything. So it'll help with that. And also, you will be helping one Black Lives Matter organization per month because 50% of what we see from that will go to one Black Lives Matter organization. Same with our Redbubble store, where if you need a new mask, if you need a new throw pillow, we even have throw pillows on there, a sweatshirt, whatever, head over there and pick up some merch and of course 50 percent of whatever we see from that will also go to one black lives matter organization per month and the link for both of those items are in the show notes or head on over to our anchor page okay so i'm gonna have the panel introduce themselves and tell me one thing in pop culture you're into right now start with you carla hi i'm carla and this week i am back to obsessing over zoe's extraordinary playlist um it is a few episodes it's five episodes episodes isn't into season two um it started off what i think a little bit shaky but it's really starting to come together in a way that makes sense for me which is really all that matters and i'm enjoying it so much i just i i I love the spirit of the show i love all of the songs and i love that like the dance numbers it's one of my favorite things to really you know fangirl about right now Eventually, someday, I have to watch this show. I do not know why <laughs> I haven't so watched this you. show. I know. It that's why I don't good... know why I haven't watched this show. <laughs> it's going to make you watch so it. Weird. Yeah, I know. I, I, every time, I, Hulu keeps telling me to watch it, and I just keep ignoring Hulu. But, hey. You should listen to Hulu and me. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully they have all of the first season on, because that's what happened when I tried to watch Prodigal Son, is they just got rid of the first season after I watched the first episode. So, and you know. know what? That kills me, because the way that where the show is going right now, you would be so into it. So I'm really angry on your behalf that it's just disappeared, because this is like completely your kind of thing right now. Oh, I'm, sh- I'm sure it is. It's Red Malley, but yeah. And Tanya? 
Hi, I'm Tanya Cook. Pronouns are she, her, hers. Uh, I'm a sociology professor too, most of the time. And then sometimes I do this. Um, and what am I enjoying? Wow, it's um, okay. So I love The Expanse. Shout out for The Expanse. It's fantastic. It's the best sci-fi. Just caught up on WandaVision. I can't pick one thing. You need to get three. Um, just caught up on WandaVision, which is great. And I am re-watching with my family, Gotham. It's it, that completely aired. And that show, let me tell you, it's so fun to make fun of. It's not good, but it's watchable. And my daughter just loved uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's character. And so she she only hung in for the long haul to see what would happen to that character. Um, but anyway, it's fun to make fun of it because I, we can't get through it without my children making very um, intersectional feminist critiques. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Something Thanks. to be definitely proud of. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And we are going to be doing a show on The Expanse. I did add that to our schedule. So we are. <laughs> I see. Both okay, I have, to, I have to be there. Yeah, if I'm not signed up, you. I, I don't think you are, but I will sign you up. I know I signed Tiffany up. I don't know if she even knows that I did that, but I signed her up after last week when you mentioned it. So, yeah, we have that one. Yep. Okay. And Tiffany. I just started, oh, hi, hey, hello. <laughs> and I just started um, this show called Woke on Hulu. It's with Lamorne Harris from New Girl. I'm sure you all uh, who watched New Girl remember him. Um, he was Winston and he was hilarious on New Girl. And this is a different character for him. And uh, it's, it's fun so far. I've gotten through three episodes. Uh, it's only one season. Uh, I don't know if it was picked up for a second, but it's a, it's a Hulu original, so you have to have Hulu in order to watch it. Um, but so far, I'm liking it. So far, I'm, I'm digging it. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Awesome. Awesome. And this is Erin. Um, and I'm really just into a performance in this movie. I really didn't really like the movie that much, but I watched Malcolm and Marie last night and I have issues with the movie, but I thought Zendaya was so, so good. I mean, she's incredible anyway. Um, if you haven't watched Euphoria, she's amazing in that. That show is very hard to watch. Very, very hard to watch. Very triggering. And it makes me so grateful I'm not a teenager today. I mean, I think it'd be so hard to be a teenager in today's world. But she's so good in that. She's a good Mary Jane. I just love. I just like her overall. And I think her performance is really good. The movie itself, I have a hard time recommending. I know some people love it. Some people don't. It's the big thing people are talking about on Twitter this weekend is that movie. So I did watch it. Wish I'd liked the movie more, but I loved her performance. So I'm into the performance, and that's about it. And oh, and I liked the music in it too. So okay, so let's get into Black Panther first. Has anyone on our panel read the comics? No. I have just a little bit of comics experience with the most. I think it's the most recent run by Tanahasi Coates. Tanahasi Tanahasi Coates. But not, I don't have extensive knowledge. I will say I did attend some panels um, over the last few years where various um, authors and artists on Black Panther spoke. So I can kind of at some point share what I learned from that because it's pretty interesting to think about um, just, you know, 50 years or something of those comics. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, and I and I haven't read them. Of course, I haven't read a comic. I don't think ever in my life, which I know is bizarre, but not even a graphic novel, which is really weird. So someday I've got to um, rectify that. So, okay, well, let's get into the movie then. Um, and let's just first talk about, I just want to talk about Ryan Coogler and having Ryan Coogler adapt it, direct it, and his work. And we can even briefly even mention his work before this if people want to mention that, because I think he is one of those amazing up-and-coming directors. He's not up-and-coming anymore, but who started out in indie films with, like, Fruitvale Station, which if you haven't seen that, go see that. Um, And then, of course, moved up. So I want to just talk about that, about how you thought he did with adapting this, how you thought he did with directing, all that stuff, Carla. I thought, okay, first of all, Black Panther, just itself as a movie, is the kind of thing that you leave it feeling like you need to know everything about how it was made. Um, For me, there just aren't a lot of movies that will drive me to do this, you know, like, kind of research into everything from the costumes, the choreography, and then to the directing. And um, I had heard of Ryan Coogler because of, yes, Fruitvale Station and also Creed. Um, and all I knew from what I had heard is that, oh, you know, he's he's really great at what he does and, you know, whatever. I was like, okay, cool. But then you watch this movie and it is just such a precise dance where everybody plays their parts perfectly and you have to have a great director to get that effect coming out of it. Um, I There's this really great Rolling Stone um, story on him by Josh Eels. It's from 2018. And uh, it's titled Ryan Coogler, Why I Needed to Make Black Panther. And it goes into the whole journey of how he went to, to Africa. He was just going on a trip, but then Marvel called and it became so much more than just a trip. He went to, to I guess to put it this way, to connect with his roots and to just, you know, travel through Africa, know the land, know the people. And once there, he was just fascinated by the similarities between what people in Africa were doing to the way that his family interacted. And he wanted to bring a lot of that into the movie to show that, uh, in his words, he says that to show that African-Americans are African. And so he wanted to to show how... Uh, even with how uh, spread out Africans and African uh, descended people are, that there's still this connection. And you really, really feel that in pretty much everything in this movie, everything to do with Wakanda, with the interactions among the families. Uh, it's, it's just suffused with this spirit of pride and joy and Africanness, and I think it that's part of why it was so successful because you don't see a lot of movies where there is this joy in blackness and in celebrating African roots uh it's often about suffering and about slavery when you're talking about Africa, about poverty, about starvation and war. but this is just this little corner of a fictional world where Black people are thriving to great success where there is so much of this uh, idealized 
notion of, of equality and of um, people being taken care of at all levels up and down in society. And it's in a way, it's almost like a, a fantasy come to life. It's, you know, you're, you're watching this and you're like, wow, like this is what I really want to see in the world. So, you know, I, I'm like I've said before, I'm not a, a very knowledgeable person when it comes to the technical little things to do with directing other than, like I said in my best-selling book, uh, just do what I want. And you know this, you know, I, I'll get your signed copy, I promise. You know, like it's, I know how much you've been waiting for for the signed copy of my my world-famous book. But not knowing all of those little things, the only thing that I can bring to the table as far as my knowledge of the direction of Ryan Coogler is that you feel, you, you get this the sense that he wants you to have to great success of what, it feels like to have pride in your roots. Yes. Um, and Tanya. I don't know that I can follow that. Um, that was great. Um, and we were all laughing, but we just had ourselves on mute at your, cause we're definitely interested in the book. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, again, wasn't familiar with this director prior to this film, but I agree with everything you said, Carla. It's it's just beautiful. And I'm, th- I'm sure we're going to talk about Afrofuturism and kind of the picture of what what these cultures could have looked like without colonization, you know, and the effects of um, colonization and that history on these beautiful cultures. But again, kind of what I love about this film is that it references that without falling into, you know, the, the tropes and the problems you identified, Carla, of just showing suffering, just showing people constantly um, being victimized and instead shows resiliency and, and beauty and all of these things that this culture has to offer. Um, And I'll say more about like sociological things if we want in the talking about the quote unquote villain and I'm putting the villain in air quotes. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, we definitely will want to talk about that. And then Tiffany. I love the fact that uh, Ryan Kugler, if you don't know, he's from Oakland and he has kind of that homage to Oakland in the beginning of the film. You see a young uh, Killmonger along with um, his father. And uh, it's it's an interesting and stark dichotomy from the beauty of Wakanda to the very kind of gritty uh, Oakland that, that Oakland of the 90s, I should say, because of course there's been a lot of gentrification present day uh so you might not even recognize Oakland from you know the 80s and 90s to Oakland now it's much different um so I love the fact that he that he placed that there and we can really identify it um but as Carla said there's so many moving parts in this film and Ryan Coogler found a way to make it really seamless because there was a way for this movie to run off the rails and just be flipped upside down and not in a good way. 
but he managed to bring all those puzzle pieces together and make this beautiful tapestry of um, pain, of joy, of um, technological wizardry. Uh, because I think that's a big part of it, as Tanya said as well, about Afrofuturism, which of course we'll get into later uh, with uh, that really kind of deep dive into the the uh, history of Wakanda. So um, it's it's a much different film than what he directed before, as as Aaron said, you know, the indie film Bell Station, and then uh, the the bigger budget film uh, Creed. It's much different <laughs> than those two things, which, of course, you're going to get that whenever you do a superhero film. Um, but I think he did a, a bang up job. I think it was um, it was really, really uh, he knocked it out of the park, in my opinion. He really did. Yeah, yeah, it, I, you know, not much to really add to what's been said. Um I, th- I think with directing, and especially if you're going to be somebody who might not have been known for directing a superhero movie or might not have been someone that originally people would have turned for that to for that, um, I think you, you have to be very hands-on, but you also have to take a step back and trust your actors and trust your s- script and trust that everything is going to come together but at the same time still be overseeing it. And I think he does a really good job of that. Um, the fact that he's had actors that work with him time and time again, like of course, Michael B. Jordan has been in like everything he's done. So, and really Michael B. Jordan owes his career in a big, big part to Ryan Coogler. Um, not just because of Fruitvale Station, but of course, because of Creed. And so when you have actors that will work with the same director over and over again, I think that says something about the director, that the director respects the actors, respects the process. And you can see that. And I think the good part about having somebody that started in indie films doing this and doing a big, big budget picture and doing, a, you know, a, a comic book movie that may just some people may think of just popcorn fare is that I think an indie director can approach stuff and put more emotion in it and more humanity in it and have you connect on a deeper level than you may not have beforehand. And that's why I always, always say it's so, so important to have independent voices. It's so, so important to have that because you never know who's going to be the next Ryan Coogler um, you, you never know. So if you don't shine light, uh, light on that, if you don't see smaller movies, you may not get the better, higher budget movies, in my opinion. That's just the way I always have viewed it. That's why whenever anybody says there are no good stories or original stories out there, like that's because you don't go and see those stories. And if you go see those stories, they get made. So, yeah, so I think it's just it's I think that's why the movie is even better than it may have even been. Um, like you said, Tiffany, it could have easily gone off the rails and you have to have somebody who's a very, very skilled, skilled director at the helm. And he is. I mean, I think what he did with Creed, I don't like boxing. I'm not a boxing person. I'm not a big Sylvester Stallone fan. I'm not necessarily a fan of the other Rocky movies. But I think what he did with Creed was really great as well. So, yeah, Tanya, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I'm going to be very... um 
hippie here, but I feel I really appreciate <laughs> your comments. And I love that that Marvel is, um, you know, giving, not giving, but like finding excellent directors who may not have sort of brand recognition yet and giving them these stories. So I was thinking a lot about what Taika Waititi has done, right, with with the Thor aspect. And along with this movie, those are my top Marvel films. I mean, I always say Winter Soldier because of the Captain America stuff. But right after that, it's it's this one and Ragnarok for me. Um, but I was going to say the difference, I think it really feels like when these folks direct these movies, they the movies have a soul. And it's sort of like watching a movie without a soul or without a an emotional connection. Like contrast this with something like Batman v Superman, right? That's just like action figures smacking together, which... You know, I mean, I used to do that with my He-Man and that's cool. And I can I can appreciate the technical aspects and all the jobs that that creates. But there's no you don't care. You know, there's no heart and there's no soul. And when you get someone like this who knows what they're doing and can kind of tap into those that emotional vulnerability and bring in the super awesome, fun action stuff, it just it all comes together like Voltron. And it's great. (laughs) Yeah, it's when you put character and story above um, spectacle, which doesn't mean you can't have spectacle. But if you don't have the character and the story, then it's just like, oh, that was fun to watch. And I'm not saying that escapism isn't fun. I mean, it is. But at the same time, it's always better if you can combine that escapism fair with also with a really good story with something deeper, with something that's saying something. And this movie is definitely saying something, which we'll definitely get to that really soon when we talk about Killmonger and other things as well. But yeah, it's it it that takes talent. And it I'm sure it was a lot of pressure on him too to take this on for so many, many, many reasons. I think for some people, and I, I don't know him, so I'm just kind of speaking <laughs> on speculation here, but I have a feeling that maybe he likes that pressure because I'm sure there was even pressure when he did Creed. I mean, you know, it's a beloved franchise too. So if Rocky, you know, since it's in the same universe. So yeah, I just, I think he's really gifted, talented. I can't wait to see what he does in the future always. Um, and I'm really excited to see what it looks like because i know he just recently signed a deal to do like a show in the wakanda universe um and so i think that'll be really really fascinating to see what he does with that okay so let's move on um to chadwick boseman black panther who played back black panther and i know this part might get a little bit emotional because of course sadly we did lose chadwick boseman Um, so I want to just ask the panel what you thought of his performance and what that lasting impact will be, Carla. I think the impact is going to be pretty much eternal. He's not only because he's so talented, but also because he played this huge hero who got to be part of the, uh, the Marvel cinematic universe, uh, in a movie that really invited young black boys to see themselves in a way that they haven't really been portrayed in almost anything. And certainly not in a, in a big tentpole movie like this. 
I think that between this performance and just his just the impression that he's left on so many people because you you can't read an an interview about him without seeing people just commenting on how how good a person he was and his dedication and how uh how, how good he was to work with um and i think that's that's part of the like that le- legacy too that if you see somebody like this is this huge action hero and then you find out that the person behind the action hero is even more amazing and you know you're you're the kind of person who is really formed by somebody that you uh can look up look up to in in this way it it just becomes part of you part of your dna and just really helps shape who you become and i just there are few people that i think are more worthy of being um looked up to in this way than Chadwick Boseman um and as far as his performance as T'Challa one thing with Chadwick Boseman is that he does so much with his eyes you just can learn so much about the character and about what's going on with inside the character just by the way that Chadwick Boseman can communicate that through his eyes and that's a really magical kind of skill. Um, I, I think of uh, Jensen Ackles, who's another person who also does that kind of thing. And those are like pretty much the two actors that I can think of that you just watch their faces and you barely even need words because they convey so much with just those muscles you know just by a uh an arch of the eyebrow a uh, movement of the lips and it really is to me magic and that's part of why i love acting as a profession when you have people who can do something like that and i don't think that it's a skill that every actor has and that doesn't mean necessarily that, that, that they're worse actors it just means that um, to me, as far as I'm concerned, that is something that I really respond to. Um, I, I, I know that when when he died, I, I, I cried in a way that I haven't cried in I don't know how long. And I've never met this man. I've never been, I think, even within a zip code of him. But he just with his acting you felt so welcome and so safe i don't know how to how else to describe it it just feels like he was allowing you into into a world i i just i really don't have very good words to to put it he he did what i love best about watching an actor work which is bring something to life in a way that leaves an impression on you that stays with you long past the time that you press stop. Yeah. And Tanya. Yeah, definitely agreed. There's, I don't normally get 
have a huge emotional reaction to celebrities passing. There's been two that I've actually cried about and felt grief over in the last few years. The one was Carrie Fisher and the other was Chadwick Boseman. And just, I mean, when that news came up, it just was, it was a shock because of course, you know, and I totally respect someone's decision for privacy there. Um, But it was, it was also heartbreaking for me because I know how important this character and, and he was for the community and just also so talented. Like I have no doubt he would have won an Oscar um, at some point. Like it's, um, it's just a loss as you're saying for all of us. And I agree with your comments about the kind of the micro expressions or, you know, being able to convey emotion without a lot of over the top um, acting, but to bring this character, to bring it kind of back to the character um, what I really appreciated about it is what I call um, his non-toxic masculinity. So I felt like that was so exemplified in this character in this film. And full disclosure, I love this film so much. I wrote um, sociology homework for all my students about it. And so they can literally do their term paper now on black something to do with Black Panther. But that that was so important, I think, to see someone who was masculine but also was caring, had a good relationship with his family, um, respected women and never had to dominate women to show his masculinity. Um, you know, didn't shy away from acknowledging, um, his role. And so it just, I felt like that was so refreshing, frankly, to see like in a superhero movie when the norm is either they have no emotions or, you know, it, in the past, it can be quite um, over the top, right, in terms of the masculinity. So I think that was a real important part of this character um, as well. Yeah. Tiffany? I am still grieving his loss. Um, And as Carla said, I did not know Chadwick Boseman. Never had the opportunity to meet Chadwick Boseman, but there is a weight of grief because not only Chadwick the actor, but Chadwick the person. Because, and I think we talked about this before, Aaron, um, he felt like one of us. He was always uh, seemed approachable, seemed uh, that he embraced the community and in turn, we embraced him. Um, in terms of uh, T'Challa, I think he was the only actor that could take that on because it was it was big shoes to fill, really big shoes to fill. Because if if it had failed, you know that sets any type of representative, big picture superhero film back, you know, ten, fifteen years. So having that weight on your shoulders is tough for anybody, but I think he did it with style and with panache and with uh, just a lot of fortitude overall um, that, as, as Carla and Tanya stated, those, the micro-expressions, uh, the way his body reacts to certain cues from other actors. Um, 
I, I'm thinking of that scene uh, when he is in the ancestral plane and he's talking to his father after he finds out that they had abandoned uh, their family, essentially. And he tells him, you were wrong. And he says it in a way that just, it's an outpouring of pain and devastation, not just because he was ripped away from having a relationship with family that he didn't even really know, but also the fact of the pain that you find out your hero, which is your father, lied about something as big as this. Um, and that it was such an egregious lie that it almost toppled the uh, the leadership of Wakanda. So um, it still hurts because we've talked about how gifted Denzel Washington is. We've talked about the gift that Viola Davis gives us. And I feel the same way about Chadwick. It was not just a talent that he had. It was a true, true gift that he gave us. And I feel like we were we were lucky to have him uh, for the time that we did. And, and I feel sad that we don't have him for longer than, than, uh, than we did. Uh, so it's a hard loss. It's still, it's, it's still a really hard loss. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, we will be talking about him more because uh, we're going to be talking about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom for the last week of our discussion or the last week of our, sorry, of Black History Month. We're going to be discussing that movie and Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, so we'll be talking about Chadwick more and his performances because Tiffany and I have already discussed a little bit of what he did with Ma Rainey's. And if you watch that performance, and then watch him in Black Panther or watch him in anything else. And you can see his range and you might not even know it's the same person. Because it's not only just his eyes, but his whole body changes. The way he walks, the way he holds himself, his voice. And I'm not just talking about different accents or anything. I'm just saying like his voice changes, the levels, everything like that. And yeah, I, I love what you said, Tanya, about the the toxic masculinity and that not being here. Because I think that's another reason this this movie is so important is you see women being strong and powerful in different ways. And never once is that like a joke. There's never like a punchline, even in a joking manner. It's never like um, looked at as weird or bizarre or anything like that. And that's so rare, especially in this genre. So that is something you I really, really appreciated with this movie. And yeah, Chadwick, you know, he could receive a posthumous Oscar this year for Ma Rainey's um, and also possibly for The Five Bloods as well, since he will probably be nominated for that as well. Um, so it is a possibility, but it is sad that we don't get to see what else he might have done in the future. Um, and it is a very, very tragic loss, but it is, but it is good that there is this lasting impact that he had. So there is a lasting legacy of his work, um, that will impact future generations for years to come. I mean, there's that whole video that, um, I can't remember what, I think it was, 
Jimmy Fallon's show or some, I think it was the Tonight Show, where he was hiding and all these people were saying thank you to the cutout. And then he would come out and say hi. And you would see all these, you know, black kids going up there and saying how grateful they were. And then adults as well and how impactful and how amazing it was to be able to see that representation. And then him coming out and seeing that emotion there. And it's just so incredible and so powerful. And that is something that will never go away. Um, And so that's this lasting gift that his legacy gave the world and the universe and kids, future generations. So that's pretty, pretty profound and incredible. And, you know, I remember right when Black Panther came out and there was someone who who posted a picture of you know, how excited they were to see the poster or the cutout in, in the in a lobby of a movie theater, I believe it was. And they said, this must be what white kids feel every day of their life. And the sad part is, as a white person, you don't even think about that. You're not like, oh, wow, it's amazing that we get to see ourselves represented and reflected back to us all the time. You don't think about it. You take it for granted. And we need to stop taking that for granted because everybody, as I said Last week, everybody deserves to see themselves reflected back to them. And it's a powerful, amazing thing. You know, art is a powerful thing. Film is a powerful media. And it deserves to be as diverse as possible. Because when it's not, you're excluding so many people. And that can be harmful in the long run. Because, you know... White people just take it for granted that we're going to be able to see ourselves on screen. We don't even think about it. And so I just remember just seeing that and being like, you know, I, yeah, we feel this every day. White people do, but I, we don't, we aren't acknowledging how lucky we are. So we need to do that. So, yeah, yeah. And rest in peace, Chadwick, because, um, and thank you for everything you gave, <laughs> gave us entertainment wise and, legend wise and everything you did you and you seemed like an incredible amazing human being um i've mentioned before since we're gonna go into uh killmonger here that michael b jordan and chadwick boseman had a little bit of a connection before they made this movie and they didn't even realize it they both played the same character on all my children and chadwick boseman of course left that or was let go because he was like, this is too much of a stereotypical black character you're wanting me to play. You know, he was playing like a street kid who was getting adopted by a white family and all this stuff. And so what they did is they took that feedback, changed the character a little bit, and then Michael B. Jordan came in and played that character. So I always think that's an interesting little bit of trivia that they didn't even know about until they made this movie, I guess. Okay, so let's get into Killmonger then, who was played, of course, by Michael B. Jordan who, as I've stated, has been in every Ryan Coogler movie since Fruitvale Station. So let's talk about Killmonger and whether or not you think he is actually a villain. <laughs> Start with you, Carla. Killmonger is such an interesting character because he's just so complex. It's not as simple as a cut and dried bad guy from, you know, from any one of the other um superhero movies um and there's so much tragedy that informs his world's view and i think it's 
I, I think it's great the way that they approach it in the movie because it really sets it up so that you don't leave it. If you really watch the movie, you you can't really leave it and not think, well, was he maybe right in some way? Um, I don't think... I think that his ideas had merit. I think the execution that he wanted to pursue for those ideals uh, were... Like, that's where the problem lay. Because there's nothing wrong with wanting... Wakanda to do better for the people in the African diaspora. Absolutely not. You have a nation that is wealthy, 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 that can, if they would just open their wallet, could help out so many people who, um, through the after effects of enslavement and systematic racism and all of these um forms of oppression that keep black people, particularly black women, particularly black trans women at obscene poverty levels, obscene levels of um, lack of access to basic necessities. And they just want to be hands off and be like, Oh, well, you know, that's not really our problem. So I absolutely agree with the goal of wanting, um, both the liberation of people and Wakandan involvement in, in the form of, of supplying them with, with the funds. Where I don't agree is where his plan veers off into a form of world domination because he wants to build an empire and he wants the empire to end with him. He basically wants to uh, burn the world down. And that's where his background comes into play because he comes into this very angry and very hurt. His entire worldview was solidified when his father was killed for not doing the right things by Wakandan standards. Um, When he learns that his father is killed off by a brother who is unimaginably wealthy and who could have dealt with things very differently than he did, who wouldn't take that into their heart and be angry about it? Who wouldn't? I just can't imagine a world where somebody doesn't uh, respond to that so viscerally. But again, we go back to the point that his, uh, his strategy for... I guess getting those reparations in a way involve a lot of murder, a lot of weapons, a lot of arming people, which is demonstrably not helpful. I mean, the U.S. history shows how not helpful it is to just go and throw weapons at a problem. That's not how how things become better. And there's actually a really great article from The Atlantic from 2018 written by Adam Serwer, in which um, Killmonger's plans are compared to George W. Bush's tactics. And, you know, at first, like, I read that and I recoiled. I was like, oh, how dare you? But if you really think about it, that that is kind of what it comes down to. That's um, putting, you know, the way that 
people were lied to to support the um, the murders of innocents is similar to the way Killmonger is approaching this because his his public persona is to say we're going to liberate, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, but he really wants to build this empire that ends with him. He destroys the plant that gives um, the the powers because he's not planning on letting anybody else have that power it begins and ends with him and as far as he's concerned that's it so it's really it's it's this duality that i think creates this fascinating tension and it's something that i really appreciate about the film and about michael b jordan's performance you don't walk away from this movie thinking well that's just an awful bad guy you know i'm so glad that he got the fate that he did because he was awful you walk away thinking, wow, this guy was was just so sad, so broken. He had so much trauma in his life. He, you know, imagine how different things could have been if he had uh, been embraced by his family instead of treated the way that he was. If he had grown up knowing T'Challa and growing up alongside him, you know, maybe informing um the king's worldview how different could things have been for wakanda and for the world for black people throughout it um so you know kudos to everybody involved in that for not making it easy for not taking the easy way out with killmonger tanya yeah wow we could have several we could have a whole series just about killmonger um so i'm gonna try to (laughs) be concise but that's difficult because i agree that he was he really made this film excellent and um so deviance doesn't come from nothing so in sociology yes you're going to get a little lecture so here you go this is school for for anybody who wants to like get an educational credit right now i guess in social we have theories of deviance like why are people deviant and for many years unfortunately the answer that a lot of scholars gave was they're nuts they're just nuts and they just do whatever and we know better than that and so what i think this film did a great job of was showing why he is the way that he is. And so you have empathy for his position, perhaps not his methods, hopefully not his methods, as they're extremely problematic. But one of my favorite um, assignments that students have done in the Black Panther project I talked about is I told them to explain Killmonger as a villain, as a complicated villain, like not complicated, complex, layered person. And it just adds to the one of the overall themes that made this movie great is no one is one dimensional. I think every character has layers and different facets to them. Even, even the very um, less uh, main characters, like I'm thinking about M'Baku, right? And, and some of that, and that's, that's a longer story. That character was very problematic in the comics and they changed, uh, they changed it significantly for the film. But um, back to Killmonger, One of my favorite assignments students have done is to either create a little comic book explaining his backstory or to write a fan fiction, PG-13, about (laughs) about Killmonger. I'm like, I don't, I mean, you you can ship him with whoever you want, but I I don't necessarily want to read the, you you write it, go for it. But um, I am your teacher. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, but it's, that, that is actually students when they do that, in terms of outcomes, 
they just nail it with the theory and they it's so much more fun frankly for me to read than a paper and i feel like they get more out of it and can see where those theories like actually matter for explaining you know what we live with so there's um labeling theory so killmonger kind of maybe his first act of deviance he gets labeled a bad seed or something and then everything after that is uh secondary deviance and the reason I mention that is you can imagine, and I think the movie does a good job of basically making the argument, even if we had put T'Challa in this situation, like if they had swapped roles, we don't, you know, would T'Challa have been Killmonger? Like that, um, that's really uh, insightful in terms of how you would apply that theory, um, that it's not so much the individual who's bad or deviant, it's choices that they make and then the reaction of others in the context, like, um, so I could say more about that, but I, I will leave off on the theory part, but yeah, I just think it was so excellent and kind of bringing it back to T'Challa being able to, to almost our, as the audience is kind of a stand in too. We, we also see that T'Challa sees the merit in some of Killmonger's, um, ideas. If, if he does not agree with the methods, like he understands and has empathy for this person and isn't just about vengeance, right? He, he wants this person to have um, resolution internally and externally. Um, one of the panels I went to in the last few years about this said that um, when these characters were created, they were supposed to be um, metaphorical for King and Malcolm X. Um, and the same is true of uh, Professor Xavier and... Um, Magneto. And I've always liked Magneto as a villain because I get it. Like, I don't agree with the methods, but I get where he's coming from. And I don't think that, um, you know, he would have necessarily gone to that conclusion had he not experienced trauma. So the other part of that, I could, I, again, I'm, I apologize. <laughs> I could go on and on is they show how not just the trauma of what Killmonger experienced as an individual, but the trauma of being stripped of your identity, like your community and your culture and your homeland, that's they show that generational trauma and how that affected him um, and his uh, motives and reactions. So I really, really appreciated it. And I still still would say he's a bad guy because, you know, murdering. Um, but it's, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's so, it's so much better than just, uh, f- excuse me. I almost swore Thanos, right? Okay. Thanos needs to be creative, you know, make more food. Don't make less people. All right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, that was awesome. Thank you so much, Tanya. Really? I thought that, that was great. Tiffany. I love that that Tanya went to the sociological aspects of of why Killmonger is why Killmonger is and and what has formed his viewpoint. And Carla went into that as well. Um, Essentially, it it boils down to the abused becomes the abuser. Uh, And looking at it from the stance of as a black woman, I had a really, really hard viewpoint. I took a, a really kind of draw a line in the sand, black and white view of, yes, this dude is a villain um, because of the misogynoir that he perpetrates. He kills his girlfriend. 
uh, he whom he had brought in to, to to do all of these these big plans and getting back to Wakanda and essentially taking over. And then he just pop pop kills her outright. No, I mean just like he killed, he ends up killing Claw. Um, and then he he chokes the elder in the the heart shaped herb garden. He ch- I mean he literally chokes her out. So I had a major problem. Uh, I know Tanya spoke about the toxic masculinity aspect of T'Challa and how there wasn't this toxic masculinity. It was just, he's a masculine man who respects women, who respects their opinions and uh, their agency as leaders. Um, And he, Killmonger, is the exact opposite of that. And there's only so many times that you can uh, so many excuses that you can use. Oh, the trauma of my childhood, the trauma of this, the trauma of that. Uh, before you have to say, do build a bridge and get over it. Go get some therapy and get over it. Um, another <laughs> another uh, thing that I think is interesting with him is that he leaned into that idea of world domination. Everett Ross talks about that. That he was essentially a mercenary. He goes to he goes to military school. He goes to West Point. He, he joins up with a uh, with a black ops group essentially, and then he shows how many kills he has on his chest with all of the with all of the um, the the body uh, uh, changes that he makes with the uh, with the, the bumps, <laughs> I guess you can call them the uh, the nicks and the cuts that he's made on his body. You know, he's he's so in, it's so ingrained in him that he's actually altered his physical, not just the mental, but he's altered his physical to accept his worldview of things. It's um, it's really it's, it's wrong on <laughs> so many levels. Um, it's uh, it, he's a, he is complicated. Um, I agree with what Carla said about, yes, he has a point in we need to help the most marginalized uh, communities out there, but your methods of world domination, just that's a big problem. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big time issue. And there is a lot of, um, a, a lot of symbiosis with what the U.S. has done throughout the years uh, as to what Killmonger Killmonger is almost a uh, an example and encapsulation of U.S. foreign policy. Uh, I think you see a lot of the U.S. in Killmonger and Killmonger into the U.S. as well. So, yeah, major problem, major villain. <laughs> Carla, you wanted to add something on there? Yeah, Tiffany brought up a really good point about Killmonger's... Um, that he went, you know, through a military route to to get to where he wanted to be physically and, you know, with the skills that, that he needed to enact his, his world, world vision. And it makes me wonder if it mirrors, you know, the, the fact that he grew up in the United, the United States. I wonder if it mirrors the United States' obsession with resolution by force. And the near deification of military and just overall weapons are the solution for everything that ails you mentality. And uh, I, you know, who knows? 
I certainly don't, but I don't know if in a in a, uh, a in a culture that maybe didn't value weaponry the way that the United States does, if his solution might have looked different. You know, I mean, who knows? Who knows? I don't. I'm just, you know, going off of Tiffany's point there and made me think of that because that's absolutely the United States historical solution to everything. Like, you know, we don't like the way that um, bananas are being grown. Send some guns. We don't like the fact that somebody's not giving us access to the oil fields. Arm these people, murder the other ones. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you. And I appreciate what Tiffany said about contrasting Killmonger's um, toxic masculinity and and beyond that misogyny um, with T'Challa. I think I'm wondering um, if some of, as you both said, um, Carla and Tiffany, some of Killmonger's characteristics are meant to reflect you know, patriarchy and, and, um, the, the imperialism of American culture down to his treatment of women. Um, and to sort of also be critical of, um, you know, sort of masculine African-American culture that, that could possibly be anti-feminist. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering if that's a critique of, um, our broader racist patriarchal structures being internalized also by oppressed groups if that makes sense. Tiffany's point about misogynoir, it is so important. And I'm so glad that she brought it up because it is a very specific violence against black women. Um, And it's something that even, you know, you see all of the people on Twitter who are, you know, we must protect black women at all costs, but they're the, the cis men will be usually the ones who will be the first to pile on a black woman for voicing a dissenting opinion and who don't sufficiently um, stand up for black women that supposedly they are there to protect and and all of that. So, you know, it's, yes, it's misogyny, but the very specific misogynoir that is so much more damaging because black women in general are the least protected group of people just anywhere. I just want to shout out um, Moira Bailey and Trudy, uh, who is at the Trudes on um, Twitter for the coining of the phrase misogynoir, because as Carla said, it's the, um, the, it's the specific sexism toward black women. And Malcolm X said it best, the black woman is the most disrespected woman on the planet. He was not wrong. And, um, and that internalized, as Tanya said, that internalized uh, viewpoint that Killmonger clearly has, because he also, um, if you recall toward the end of the film, he also uh, hurt Shuri, who was his cousin. You know, I mean, is there anything more um, more telling than than a man than a than a man hurting his own family, even if he doesn't necessarily know that family but she's younger she's not as strong and um he still knocks her out essentially so um i think i think that's you know very um that's a very pointed (laughs) pointed point (laughs) toward uh how killmonger has um has internalized all of these things it's uh it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, view that uh, that Ryan Coogler and the writers 
uh, showed us. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Really, I think that was this is a really good discussion so far. So I really appreciate everybody's input. Um, yeah, and and the whole th- the thing with the U.S. Um, and our need to dominate, we really think we are better than everybody else. And we're really like bratty little teenagers and we just want everything our way. And we say we're going in to help like with Iraq. We're like, we're going to go free people from Saddam Hussein. And then we're just going to leave and we're going to use violence and we're going to destroy things and we're going to hurt people and kill people. But it's all in the name of something good. It's all in the name of freedom. I mean, we love that word here, freedom, but we don't really know what that word really means. We don't really believe what that word really means. We are built on oppression. And that's just the truth of it. We're built on oppression. We're built on killing. We're built on using. We're built on abuse. We're built on, Tanya just said, freedom without equality isn't, isn't, is injustice. Um, and it's true because we aren't about equality. We're about basically saying, excuse me, but who has the bigger penis? And we're just going to show you we have the bigger one and we are more strong and we're going to take over and we're going to do this. And it's it's ingrained in us as a society. I will never forget after 9-11, um, hanging out with a bunch of my friends, all women, sitting around talking. And one person said, why can't we just just bomb Afghanistan? Why can't we just bomb the whole country? We don't need those people anyway. And I was just like, did you seriously just say that? And that's the way that America thinks. That's the way the United States thinks is it doesn't matter. We don't think about the repercussions. I mean, people get mad so much about, um, about immigration and they get mad about refugees but what they don't think about is the fact that we have we are the cause for so many refugees in this world we are um and we don't seem to grasp that for some reason um and it is that whole egocentric racist um misogynistic everything like that imperialistic it's just this Capitalism. Capitalism is part of it too, frankly. Um, We're all about looks, image, power, having more power, weaponry, guns, and we sell weaponry to other countries and in turn those countries hurt their people and we do this in the name of freedom and that's not even what freedom really is. It's just, it's mind-boggling and so I think that's a really interesting point to bring up um with him representing that with killmonger representing a lot of that because it's true we tend to really we always talk about how much we love the military and we love that but yet we have so many homeless vets and we have so many people that have served this country that get excuse me but shit on crapped on constantly i mean i'll never forget when we went and did that um where we passed out the stockings, Tanya, and we went downtown and passed out the stockings. And there I was a vet. That, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a vet that said, You you have done more for me with this little stocking than the government has done for me. I mean, and that just tells you all there is right there. You know, it's like, okay, um, we want to embrace the military up to a point. 
And that's the way we are about everything is we want to embrace things as long as it serves us. And once it stops serving us, bye-bye. We don't care about you anymore. And so I think that is another brilliant aspect of this film. And the fact that it also gets you talking about this, because that's the thing is we have to talk about this stuff. We have to have hard conversations with ourselves and with each other um, and with others. And we have to also listen. We have to really learn how to listen. Uh, People don't listen very well in this country. Um, And we have to really realize what that word freedom really means and what that would really look like in this country and in the world. And we have to stop thinking we know everything that's best for everybody else, for every other country and for every other person out there. We have to stop thinking that we need to just swoop in and quote unquote save the day when really we're going to swoop in, make everything worse, and then say bye-bye, good luck. <laughs> you know, so it's it's really rather disgusting, um, but it's something we need to really deal with and stop brushing under the rug and when you hear things and hear people say stuff like that person said it's very important to call it out you know I mean because people believe that they don't see that people in other countries are human beings they don't see that so it's very important to know that to point it out to speak about it so I'm glad we're having this conversation. I just want to say that too. It's just, it's been great just to even listen to everybody and to hear everybody's talk. And yeah. So I feel like we should okay. write a paper. Um, yeah. I'm just going to put that. <laughs> this is like inevitably what happens with the academics when we get like academic <laughs> pop culture analysis. We're like, we got to write a book. We got to write a paper, but, but there's no time, but we need Red Bull. I just want to put it out here. I, your comments, I was laughing at one point because I was like, yeah, Killmonger, total anti-mask, anti-masker. Yes. <laughs> Part of me, you know, I continue. I have no idea how I have any shock shock res- reservoirs left in me after this year to be surprised that people aren't going to listen to the simple like, hey, you know what? You should care about other people and just wear a mask and wash up. And Americans are like, screw that. Oh, my freedom. <laughs> no, other people matter, you jackass. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what kills me is we would be in a totally different place if people would just do what you need to do. It's not it's not oppression. It's not even close to oppression. And it's such privilege to think that putting on a mask is oppression. I mean, give me a break. And people thinking it's not good for your health is BS because that you'd have doctors dropping dead every day if it was that. <laughs> your health it's like get over yourself okay stop having a temper tantrum and just get over yourself you know so we can all maybe have a normal life again I mean as normal as possible I it's just ridiculous to me okay (laughs) but no this is another reason I'm glad to have this podcast is because you know people sometimes I think think that pop culture And the movies we consume and entertainment that doesn't matter and that it's not important and it's not going to make an impact. And that's not true. So I think it's important to have these discussions. So I'm glad we are. Okay, so let's move on to Wakanda itself and talk about that. Carla? I loved Wakanda. I want to move to Wakanda. I want to buy a tiny condo 
near the downtown of Wakanda and just take my little woven basket and go around shopping every day. Maybe every now and then run into Shuri and just wave to her and be like, hey, I'm your number one fan. I love you so much. You know, like just, you know, worship Okoye from afar. Like that's all I want with my existence. Um, but I, I love the way that, that uh, Wakanda was um, depicted in the in this movie. It was just such a beautiful, beautiful place. It is kind of like a dreamscape world. Um, you feel like such respite just being there. Like, you know, like it's just so gorgeous and so um, it's not a futuristic and the sense that a lot of movies do futurism like uh, guardians of the galaxy for example where everything is very dark and metallic and uh imposing wakanda was warm and welcoming it's definitely a futuristic place but it's welcoming in a in a way that a lot of futuristic places are not um when i see them when people you know if you watch the movie ai Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, so many movies that are set in this like, future world. Everything is just too much. Um, any color that is there is garish, especially in contrast with these dark metallic grays. Um, but not Wakanda. Wakanda is gorgeous. You want to get lost there. You want to walk around and just feel the the warmth of the people and the buildings and just really get lost in it and enjoy it. Um, and that's, I mean, like that's all I'm qualified to say because I'm not very good at like, uh, you know, I'm sure that there's like a lot of symbolism and stuff like that. All I know is that I want to go there and just relax and live in a future that doesn't feel like a robot is going to come and eat my face. <laughs> <laughs> that part. Tanya. Yeah, you know, speaking of robots eating your face, no, um, I am terrified of the Alexa enabled speaker we have in our house. And the kids think it's hilarious to like sass talk it. And I'm like, no, don't come build Skynet and murder us. We're good humans. We don't want to be murdered by robots. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm like, thank you, Alexa. Please stop playing that song now. And they're like, mom, it's a robot. You don't have to be played. I do. I do. They're going to remember this. Happy birthday, Alexa. Okay. Anyway, um, all of that aside, uh, I, I think what Carla is getting at is is right on with like, instead of a, a dystopian future shaped by, you know, like our Western greed and Western imperialistic, we used up the earth and, and we've, you know, been... Um, terrible stewards of this beautiful planet we see the opposite of that we see almost like a, a futuristic utopia right in wakanda i i don't know as much about the world of wakanda as i do about the specific characters in the film but i that's very much how it struck me and we see a people who is, has no fear of alexa enabled robots coming to murder them because they figured out how to live with technology and still retain their culture and their humanity and not be overcome with um, kind of greed, I guess there's there is the issue of them being closed off from the world, and they kind of deal with that in the film, and I find that interesting. But at the same time, I understand why they would have chosen that um, when they have this precious resource, vibranium. And personally, I feel like that's a metaphor for a lot of the 
um, diamond and, and gold and um, other precious metal mining that happens in parts of Africa. Um, and I haven't really thought a ton more about that, but I think that was that was meant to be that way. Um, but it, it's a great, everyone seems happy. They don't seem to have poverty. There are still, you know, structural or internal conflict issues like with the tribes, which I think is really interesting in the way that they showed those um, uh, disagreements or being, being sort of dealt with, but everyone still respects the process, if you will. So I, I think, yeah, the kind of Afrofuturistic utopia in a way or as close as you want to get. And I'm not positive if there is more inequality. I think in the um, comics, if I'm being, if I'm remembering right, there is more inequality within the country itself. Like there's a little bit more strife than was shown in the film. But I like the, just from the, the, the physical space of Wakanda, I love what, what Carla mentioned, that it feels warm and welcoming. Um, and I like the different landscapes that you get with there. You have this bustling kind of downtown area where you have high rises and lots of transportation options. Uh, you have this bustling marketplace. Then you have the imposing structure um, of uh, the Jabari tribe up in the mountains. And there's snow and uh, a lot of rock and granite, it appears like. Then you have this countryside where uh, Wakabi is raising giant rhinos. <laughs> and there's, you know, and there's livestock and there's grazing and it's a lot of green space. Uh, it almost feels like, to me, it feels sort of like New Zealand. <laughs> I don't know why, but it, it feels a bit like New Zealand to me. Um, although with a, with a, I guess, more with a heavily populated downtown area. Uh, but the mountains and the, and the green space, it feels very New Zealandy. Um, I love the look of it. Uh, I do, as Tanya said, there is a major issue with them hoarding uh, a, a resource that could help the world um, really bring its, itself to the 21st century and beyond, um, even more so than how diamonds, gold, any type of, um, of a mineral uh, type of resource like that. Because, I mean, does the world need more diamonds? Eh? I mean, I like diamond rings as much as the next person, but do we actually need more? Eh? Whereas vibranium is this resource that can um, not just protect people, but it can... Um, just bring technology into a, a very futuristic uh, plane where things work for you as opposed to you working for things. I don't know if I'm making sense with that, um, but I do. I love the I love the look of it. I do. I love the look of Wakanda because there's so much difference in it, and uh, I love the tribes of Wakanda because it feels. It feels like it is one people, but there are different people uh, as well. So I like I like the uh, the clothing when you go to the uh, when the ritual combat between T'Challa and and uh, Mbaku. 
there is, uh, you see the different tribes up on the waterfall. It's just beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I think uh, Ryan Hula did a great job with uh, with that, those particular shots uh, of those scenes because the colors of the clothing and shout out to, um, to Ruth for the costume director for doing that because she did that. <laughs> uh the, the costuming up against the, the, beautiful, the beauty of the waterfall, which I know, CGI, but that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. It still looked great. It still looked really good and realistic. Um, that's just a great shot. That's just a great shot that I think that really encapsulates the beauty of the, of the country overall. Yeah, not much else to add, really. Um, but yeah, with seeing a futuristic portrayal that isn't dark, and gloomy. I mean, like, I'm looking right now at Tiffany's virtual background on her <laughs> Skype, and in a way, the coloring, because it is kind of gray and muted. I mean, do you see the sun? That's the way we see the future in movies. I mean, even in movies that were portraying the time we're in right now, it was always like everything's run down and dilapidated, and everybody is, you know, like cannot breathe or everything's gone. All our resources are gone. So it is interesting to see sort of a different take on that, excuse me, take on that. And I'm with you, Tanya, about technology. I mean, I, yeah, I fear that it is one day (laughs) going to come back and bite us in the butt because I mean, you know, I mean, we all, we saw it in the office when it tried to drown Michael and Dwight in the lake. (laughs) I mean, you know, I just had to put that out there. And I did see a little short horror film when I was at the Women in Horror Film Festival last year. And there was one like that where they built this intelligent robot woman who would do things for you and kind of like the embodiment of Alexa and stuff. And then she just one day was like, nope, sorry. (laughs) I want what I want. So little tangent there, but <laughs> yeah, but the look and everything, I mean, you have to get it. I mean, the crew that must've worked on this and worked so hard to make it look this way. That's a lot of work. Um, like, like you said, Tiffany, with the costumes, with everything. Um, yeah, there is some CGI, but there is other stuff in there that isn't CGI and it all looks so seamless. It looks real. It looks like a place that could actually exist which is a huge accomplishment. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's pretty incredible to look at and to, you can almost feel it and almost sense it. And it's luscious in a way too. Um, so yeah, really, really amazing work there. Okay. Let's move on to the women of Wakanda. Um, Carla, what are your thoughts on the women of Wakanda? Uh, I love them all. That's, I, I don't know how much uh, sense I'm going to make, how many, you know, serious and thought-provoking things I have to say about them, just that I love them all. And I uh, I love the portrayal of women who, first of all, you have some women who really, really kick butt in there. You have Nakia, you have Okoye, you have the entire Dora Milaje just amazing, amazing fighters and defenders of the kingdom and the land. And they are not portrayed as unfeeling, 
um, you know, martial artist robots. We just talked about robots, and I'm I'm afraid to say, to say that word in case there are robots listening to me. Um, I don't have an Alexa or a Siri or anything, but if you are listening to me, and I know you are, I just want to say I have no actual beef with, beef with you. Um, we'll just say it like that, even though I do. But yes, so they they have feelings, and and you, uh, in the film, it doesn't opaque them in a way that makes you in in the way that they would for a male warrior. To put it that way. I think that that's one of the the greatest things about the women in Black Panther. They're um, they take their job seriously, they take their responsibility seriously, but they're not out of touch with their emotions. They're not out of touch with their feelings for the people that they are tasked to protect. Um, I I I can't tell you which one is my favorite because I'm always thinking, oh, it's this one, oh, it's that one. Oh, today it's Shuri. Why? Because she is the ultimate nerd girl. She is every cool nerd character, every, you know, nerdy sidekick in every single movie and TV show that I've ever watched all rolled into this hilarious, fun person who just really revels in her creations. And in, she just she's just casually brilliant. Which I love. I love casual brilliance, where it's not some forced thing that you know they're making you see. Oh, this is how her mind works. It's amazing. Like you know, um, Doctor Reed and Criminal Minds. Like okay, okay, we get it. Yeah, 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 we get it. He's awesome. But Shuri just is. She's allowed to just be brilliant and to do all of these amazing things. She's not less than her brother for not being the queen. She has as important a role, if not more important, because she basically keeps Wakanda running. She keeps Black Panther. Uh, he, he may have like the, the supernatural herb thing that gets him juiced up, but without her tech, would he really be as, uh, as effective as he is? I love that you have all of these women who are dark-skinned black women who have center stage who are amazing and not given you know like a huge heap of flaws like i think so many movies do when they're you know like the strong black woman which is what everybody kind of defaults to um and that's again the thing with the where i would have been concerned about having these amazing warrior women is that you know strong black women they get everything done and it's like okay yes they do a lot in this movie but they're still depicted as human beings who have feelings and that's why it was so important to me um i love angela bassett in pretty much everything i love her here uh she just gives great mom vibes i i I can't i'm a sucker for angela bassett in, in a mom role i can't help it i just I watch it and I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool. Are you going to be my mommy now? Because I, yeah. It's okay if you scold me. Um, I just, like I said, I'm not very eloquent when it comes to them because all I do is squee. So there was my squeeing over them. That was great, though. That was awesome. <laughs> well, thank you yeah. for enjoying my squeeing. <laughs> 
We love your squee. Um, yeah, it's uh, I love Angela Bassett. I've been a fan since I saw um, What's Love Got to Do With It in the theater. So that's how old I am, kids. All right. Um, <laughs> and I, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she was so, she's always excellent, like in everything I've ever seen her in. But the women of Wakanda, what a tough job to kind of pick a favorite. I will, though. Okoye. Um I, you know, I would let Okoye beat me up because I just like her that much. And she would have good reasons. If she wanted to beat me up, I would have it coming. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I definitely need to be beat up. Anyway, um, (laughs) she's just so great. Such a great portrayal. Um, I love, I didn't mention it with the direction, but the whole fight scene in our car chase slash fight scene in... um, I think it was Seoul. Was it in Seoul, South Korea or no Bhutan in South Korea. Um, but it was just so beautiful and so exciting. And I, it's so f- the moments of humor and the symbolism of her, you know, um, with having to wear the wig or whatever to blend in and then using that and just being like, I'm done. We're done with this. This is not, yeah. So kick-ass just again, I'm not going to be as thoughtful here, but one thing students have written about for me is like comparing and contrasting American versus Wakandan feminism. And I actually think that's pretty interesting because it, it shows, you know, just what a difference culturally that is. And every, every character in that is, is just, again, as you said, kind of multi-layered. My only beef with this movie, and I don't know that it was, um, I, I'm not putting it on the director is that in the, uh, comics at least some of the Dora Milaje are in same-sex relationships with each other um and it's I I think it might even be Okoye I'm not remembering super well but I was sad not to see that frankly because I think in the same way that we need to see black excellence in the same way that we need to see um a stem genius uh young black girl stem genius in the same way that we need to see non-toxic masculinity, we need to see um, black women in same-sex relationships on screen in a positive way. So I that was a little bit disappointing. I put that, though, on Marvel um, and not on the folks who made this movie because I think a lot of this has to do with um, being able to market it overseas and sell it overseas. Um, I'm not positive about that, but that's kind of my my hunch. But if... And I just, I didn't think Okoye needed to have the the dude love interest. I'm liking on his name. I liked him as a character. He was interesting. Um, I kind of, and I see the the scene where she says she would absolutely fight him to save Wakanda. That was powerful. I liked that part. But I just, I'm like, she doesn't have to be in a heteronormative relationship to be, you know, kick-ass and valid and still have emotional depth, I guess. So that was my only kind of like, meh, but otherwise, awesome. Carla, you wanted to add something there? Yeah, just the the, the heteronormativity did bother me. On the other hand, I consider the fact that when you see Black people in relationships in film, it's often in an interracial pairing, usually with a white person. So in that sense, I did like seeing Okoye with... Uh, with the male pairing because it is so important to see that. And it's a shame that there isn't enough um, representation of it in general, where we couldn't just be 
just focus on the fact that it's heteronormative because I absolutely agree. Um, but that th- it, it's like that quandary of, you know, like which evil are we, are we solving? And I agree. I'm putting it on Marvel because Marvel, just like so many other big studios shies away from any kind of non-straight anything. And Tiffany. I was so excited uh, when they announced the cast of this um, because I was looking at, uh, for the first time, a slew of dark-skinned Black women uh, who would be in major roles, who are not sidekicks, who are not uh, portraying some type of crack addict, who are not the sassy friend. Uh, who are not, uh, for some reason, who are not a therapist. I don't know if you've all really <laughs> have seen that, but there's so many, <laughs> there's so many <laughs> portrayals of, um, of black women on screen and they're all therapists. <laughs> so they're internalizing all of this trauma of other people's and never getting their own. I, you never see them unloading on like a white person. <laughs> that never happens. Um, so I was so super duper psyched to see Lupita Nyong'o, to see uh, Denai Guerrero, to see Letitia Wright um, as these competent, intelligent, um, really savvy women who could, honestly, they could run Wakanda. Uh, If you think about it, uh, I love when Nakia said, uh, we should be doing more. Wakanda could do it better. And that is so, I think there, therein lies the differential between what Killmonger's viewpoint was and what a Black woman like Nakia's viewpoint was. This is somebody who was in the world who saw uh, what the devastating effects of colonialism, xenophobia, uh, racism had been on countries throughout the continent and who knew that Wakanda's resources could make a difference and could make a difference in the right type of way, not just in I'm going to dominate you and you're going to do it my way or the highway. And then I'm going to dip out and say, peace, good luck. Um, so I love that fact that, that Nakia has that, uh, that really smart, realistic viewpoint of the world. I love the fact that Okoye is this really, really smart general who is running things. How many times do you see that? You don't see that necessarily. Um, As Carla said, Shuri is a, she's a teenager, but she is brilliant. Uh, She has these moments of levity coupled with these moments of just intense study. And it's such a seamless transition between both of them. Like when she says, I call them sneakers. <laughs> and when she, when she plays with T'Challa and says, I need you to hit it. <laughs> and she just, you know, she's fun loving. She acts the way a teenager acts, but she is absolutely the smartest person in the room at all times. But she doesn't lord it over people. At times, I feel like the difference between somebody like her and then you see somebody like Bruce Banner, for example, he kind of has a tendency to be 
self-aggrandizing. He really kind of says, in Ragnarok, he says, he tells Thor, Banner has seven PhDs. Okay, dude, you don't have seven PhDs. Let's keep it real. There's no way you have seven PhDs. That would take like 50 years to do. You have probably seven concentrations into one PhD, <laughs> or maybe two at the very most. But um, it always feels like he, and to a certain extent, Tony Stark, are always trying to pinpoint their genius. And I don't feel like you ever feel that with Shuri. I feel like she never really tries to hold it over people and to make people feel bad that they aren't as smart as her. So I have nothing but, uh, and Dora Milaje, what can you say about them? Just a squad of kick butt woman, black woman excellence. I I can't say enough about the Dora Milaje and those, um, the, uh, the uniforms for <laughs> Dora Milaje, so cool, uh, so, um, so flattering. <laughs> I think I feel like anybody would look good in a Dora Milaje uniform. Um, just, just so much, so much excellence. Uh, I can, I can go on and on. As, as Carla said, I, I just can squee on and on about them and uh, the desirability. I did want to make a mention of that: the desirability of a dark-skinned black woman on screen uh, when T'Challa. It, he is in love with Nakia and he's not afraid to show it. I mean, he might be a little awkward at times with it, but I feel like he's not afraid to show it. And when have you seen a dark skinned black woman being desired on screen and, and not just for her body, uh, not in an overtly sexual manner. I feel like it's sweet and it's uh, it's a realistic portrayal of black love. Uh, they have that one kiss that I think is just so so kind and so and so loving with each other. And I could just go on and on, but I'm going to stop. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been it's been great listening to everybody. Really, I'm just having fun just sitting back and listening to everybody talk. Honestly, I think this has been one of the best conversations we've had. So it's just been so awesome. Um, once again, representation matters, seeing yourself on the screen matters and seeing yourself as a fully fleshed out three dimensional human being and not a stereotype, not someone who can serve somebody else's needs, but being an actual person who has their own agency, um, and who has different dimensions to them. And you don't have like the same black woman in every woman that's on the screen it's different characters and it's so rare to see that and I just want to throw out just the performances I mean everybody in this movie is good but I just want to just mention that because we've sort of mentioned it but just every single actress in this is just incredible to watch um and everything they give um is just amazing so I just want to say that that the cast in this movie overall anyway is incredible, but the women are just outstanding and amazing. And yeah, with, with the sexuality and with Marvel, I do blame that on Marvel as well. A um, little bit of trivia. I know um, in the show Queer as Folk, one of the main characters, Michael, he loves comics and loves comic books and loves superheroes. And there's a superhero that he loves that's 
that he always suspected is gay and they wanted it to be, I can't remember, it was some DC character. And DC is like, there's no way you're putting us in a show that is about gay men. We're not even going to have our comics even in the background. They wouldn't even let any posters be, nothing like that. I guess Marvel was a tad bit better, but they still weren't as good. So they had to create and make up a whole character because of that. So I'm sure Marvel had a lot to do with it. And also, sadly, the marketing and thinking they can't reach as big of an audience or make as much money. Um, so once again, that goes into the whole capitalism and our whole mind frame of money over people and money over humanity. Um, but yeah, I, I think overall it was just so great to see so many powerful, powerful and in there. And also so many women that had their own agency, so many women that it wasn't about um, pleasing a man. It wasn't about pleasing another white person. It wasn't about pleasing a country. I mean, it wasn't about any of that. It was about being yourself and being who you are and being who and embracing who you are and embracing your femininity and whatever form that takes. Um, and that's why I appreciated that it was so many different characters. It wasn't just one form. It wasn't just... Like, okay, we're just going to have a bunch of warriors or whatever, you know, we're just going to make them that and we're not going to give them any dimension. That was so, so, so nice to see and so refreshing. Um, and once again, just to be able to have that representation for black women to see themselves on screen and to see themselves not being a crack addict, not saving the white person. Not And that's true about the therapy. I hadn't even thought about that, but that's so true. Not being the therapist for the white person to help the white person again. Um, and again, take on all that trauma. Um, so that's that's just incredible. And that is another lasting legacy of the movie. Um, and I'm sure the comics as well is to be able to have that, that representation. Tanya? Yeah, I just, well, you couldn't see me or hear me, but when you mentioned that about the therapist, um, it just, I was just swearing and shaking my head. So I just, <laughs> because I hadn't thought about that until you said it. And I was like, oh, God damn it. All right. Anyway, um, <laughs> but I wanted to, while we're on Dora Milaje, I wanted to just throw out a little Comic-Con knowledge, um, was the author who created that group actually studied female martial artists and had them he went and observed like what, how they, how they work with their bodies, because often, not always, but often women are smaller physically and, and then um, other people. And so he watched like their fighting styles. They actually sent him videos of how they, they fought and the different kinds of martial arts so that they actually did research on that, which I thought was pretty cool to mention. And then I want to shout out for a, a cosplay group that you should check out on Instagram called Sailor Milaj or Sailor Milaje, has anybody seen them? They're um, black women, and they do the Sailor Scouts, but as in the style of Wakanda, in the style of Black Panther. And they're it's awesome. It kicks ass. So I just want to shout out for them. They're really cool. And they make all their own stuff, and it's amazing. Awesome. I'll have to check them out and maybe have them on the podcast. Um, <laughs> make a note of that. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Cool. Wonderful. Okay. Well, we've already, of course, mentioned this, but you can't mention it enough. I want to talk about the importance of representation that this film gives 
and also um, the importance of representation in general in in big budget movies and in comic book movies and anything like that, Carla? I think that, you know, absolutely in big budget movies, especially in uh, these superhero kind of movies, there just is not enough of the right kind of representation because it's not enough to say, well, we hire black actors if you're just going to put them in servile roles or in villain roles and roles that don't represent everything that a human being can be if you're just putting them into these two little boxes and that's all that you're willing to do and then call that representation because that's not representation um and i think that one of the great things about this movie is that there was so much uh uh black vision behind the scenes which i think is what made it so it made it the movie that it was if you had had uh a white director a, a white costume designer you know um a lot of the things that we love about black panther wouldn't exist they just wouldn't be there because they wouldn't have thought to put them in there uh and, and this is the thing with you know when when you have a white writer or director or what have you say well you know i talked to a lot of black people and i went to africa and i did this it's a very different experience from a black person going to africa and and talking to people it's a very different thing to see those worlds portrayed and when we were having the, the discussion about denzel washington um and we talked about how the movie is about black uh, the movie glory is about black soldiers but it's completely through a white man's point of view when you talk about the movie promising young young woman and how different the depiction of violence is um and of the of the of a woman's body is when you have a woman directing versus a man directing it's the same here this is why when we say representation matters we can't let it just mean in one or two roles in what in which uh cis hetero white men call all of the shots and have all of the power that's not representation that is crumbs and we shouldn't settle for them we are beyond that we are well past the time where that is at all acceptable yep yep tanya i mean amen like it just this film, I, I hadn't watched the Oscars in years, many, many years. And I was like a, a, a rabid movie Oscar person, pre-children. Um, and I watched them just because this was nominated. And so I, you know, thought it was so great that I, the Oscars are hella problematic. And I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not walking that back at all. But I was so excited for it to get that nomination and for you said her name was Ruth, the costume designer to win, because really, I mean, it should have won more things than it did. I don't remember what won Best Picture, and I don't care, um, because I remember this movie, and we're talking about it, and we'll be talking about it. And it does matter. It's, it's um, of course, everything you said is from a social justice and, you know, making people human, right, and, and allowing the representation to not just be visual, but to be multi-layered and comp complicated and um, to really tell good stories 
and to reflect that our world is diverse. It helps, I think, legitimize um, stereotypes that people carry around with them. And it helps undermine those stereotypes that people carry around with them in the dominant culture as well. So this is important for everyone to see, including people of privilege, um, to see this kinds of storytelling and dedication and care. Uh, and it's so, um, you know, meaningful. I think I forgot. I had another point. I'm sorry. And it flew out of my head. Um, it's just, I'm, I'm so excited that we, we did get this film and it was as good as it was, but as, as you all pointed out, we, this shouldn't be the exception. This should be the norm. We should be telling interesting, layered, diverse stories with positive representation um, all, all around. I really am excited about, um, so you all know I'm a big Captain America person because my background is Captain America. Um, and I'm so excited for Falcon to take over as Cap. Um, and I'm, I'm a little worried because there was some pre, pre of what Falcon and Winter Soldier suggesting like Sam is deciding whether he wants to be Captain America. I'm like, no, 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 no. He needs to be Captain America. And I mean, if he's like wrestling with it on an individual level, fine. But I'm like, don't, please don't walk that back. I'm, I'm worried they're going to walk it back. And I really hope they don't because I think that was excellent. And I want to see him in that role. Yes. And Tiffany. I think we had talked about uh, how important this film was to young black kids just from a personal level. Um, my niece and my daughter uh, both were starry-eyed when they saw Okoye, when they saw Nakia, when they saw Shuri and the Dora Milaje because they looked like them. And they hadn't seen anybody on the big screen uh, as a superhero. There have been other portrayals. Like, I mean, we've watched together, we've watched Akila and the Bee. Uh, we've watched, which is a great, cute movie if nobody's ever seen it. Um, Kiki Palmer and uh, Morris Fishburne and Angela Bassett, as we, as we talked about, uh, who we all love, of course. <laughs> and, um, and also... Uh, uh, gosh, of course the name of the movie just flew out of my mind. Um, not a wrinkle in time. That's not it. <laughs> It'll come back to me, but it, it, uh, it has, um, or maybe it is a wrinkle in time that I'm thinking about. Never mind. But it's, it is important. It was a wrinkle in time. Now that I've thought about it, it is. Uh, Ava DuVernay is a wrinkle in time. So they love that as well. Anywho, uh, so it is, you know, just from a personal standpoint, it was important for me to see it, for them to see it, and for anybody else that has young Black kids or any other uh, marginalized person of color to see that reflected back to them. Um, Also, just seeing, as Carla mentioned, having that importance of not only front of camera characters, but behind camera leadership, having Ryan Coogler, so, so important. Having Ruth Carter as your costume designer, so, so important. Hannah Beesler did the production design and she also won an Oscar for that. Ruth Carter won, of course, and then Hannah Beesler won. Uh, 
so important because it frames this world of uh, Wakanda in a black viewpoint, a diasporic viewpoint, which had it been in the hands of a white person, I don't think that would have happened. Uh, I know, Aaron, you mentioned watching uh, Malcolm and Marie last night, and I think part of that, part of the problematic uh, points that people are bringing up is that a white man helmed it. So even if the performances are very strong, the context of the performances and the, the writing that form those performances are definitely, there are definitely some issues with that. And I, I'm sure you all probably can go on Twitter and take a look and see specifically, there's there's two things in there that are specifically problematic uh, that, that have been shared widely. So check it out on Twitter if you haven't. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's, um, that, that's crazily important that we got that leadership aspect uh, because it could have it could have been a much different storytelling uh, view without it. I'm I'm psyched for when Nia DaCosta helming Captain Mar- Captain Marvel too. I think that's going to be so so cool. I really do. I'm really excited to see, really excited to see what she does with that material. Uh, because her work is just in what Candyman. Oh my goodness. I'm glad they pushed it back. You know, I'm like, I need to see this on the big screen. I need to see it on the big screen. Some things it's fine. I can watch it on streaming, but I need to see Candyman on the big screen. Uh, just from that, you know, the, uh, the puppet like trailer that they did, which was amazing and outstanding. So Nia DaCosta, snap snaps because I'm I'm ready for her. I'm ready for her to get it to get this superhero movie going on. Um so I need we need to see more of that. We need to see more of the behind the scenes leadership because they do have a different viewpoint than as Carla mentioned, a cis white hetero male because that's been done. We don't need to see that anymore. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Behind the scenes is so important. People forget the behind the scenes because if you don't have it behind the scenes, then you don't really have representation. Um, you need it all the way from the gaffer all the way up. It just needs to be there. Um, and that makes a huge difference. And yeah, I've read a lot of those Malcolm and Marie. You know, there's one which I wish I would have brought it up, but um, there is an article out there. You can find it on Twitter that was written about having a white person basically was putting all their rage at critics into the mouth of a black man and how problematic that is. So yeah, there's a lot of good discourse out there to read and to discover about that because it is true. I mean, you have a white man who's writing and directing and helming this and how that can cause issues. And you see it with like Quentin Tarantino movies, um, frankly, (laughs) Um, and uh, you see that a lot of times where it does, it makes a huge difference if you have the voices behind the camera and yeah, Nia DaCosta and everything that's, that's, that's happening for her is amazing and incredible. And I'm so glad that we brought up Candyman again, because so much is being forgotten about the fact that she's the one helming this 
because of the fact that Jordan Peele is a producer. So people keep forgetting that and forgetting it's hers and it's a black woman who's making this movie. She's also, I don't know if everybody knew, she's also doing a remake of Sleeping with the Enemy. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's one of her other ones. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> I love Carla's face when I <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's it is it's so you don't even so know how excited I am right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where it is in the process. It's one of those that's in development, so I don't know where it is exactly in that process, but it's so I just cool. needed to know that it existed <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, so that'll be cool to see. Um and yeah, I mean we need in every department in casting um producing everything um cinematography editing uh because you know an editor is really the person that can make a performance better can make a performance look worse make a movie look better make it look worse i mean the editing is so crucial to a movie so to have that and cinematography is crucial lighting lighting faces lighting different skin color all of that is very 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 important so when you talk about representation, it's important, like has been mentioned, it's important not to forget about the people behind the scenes. Because if you just are worried about the people in front of the camera, you're still going to lose representation and you're still going to lose stories and you're still going to lose good stories. So, yeah, representation matters and it's important. And it's not about going, OK, we did one that's good. We're all done. Pat ourselves on the back. Let's move on. It's not about that. It's about where it becomes the norm, where it's not something where you see articles written about how incredible it is that this has happened, where it's more, it's the norm. We need that. And it does make a huge, huge difference in the entertainment you consume and the entertainment you see. In turn, it also can give hope and dreams to other young kids. And kids can say, I can do whatever I want to do. I can do that because I've been able to see myself reflected. That's also why it's important. Okay, well, I think this has been an absolutely amazing discussion. Seriously, thank you, Carla, Tanya, and Tiffany. This has been amazing, and I really have appreciated listening <laughs> and hearing from everybody. Um, and I think we need to have more discussions like this, so thank you so much. So we're going to wrap up and just have everybody say where they can be found, and then whatever you want to promote, Carla. Oh, whatever I want to promote. <laughs> well... <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and stick to to the podcast then. Um, uh, another frequent, frequent guest, Meg and I have a podcast called But What Orb Ahead, in which we play a very classy game of FMK with your favorite characters from your favorite fandoms. You can find, on, find us on any good podcast carrier with good taste uh, and also on Twitter at But What Behead Pod. And you can find me on Twitter at Carla Temis, C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S. Awesome. Thank you. And Tanya? Well, I feel like I now need to give you my answers for Black Panther to that question, um, but maybe you should do a show on that instead. <laughs> um, I know I would wed Okoye, so there there you go. I'm, I, I just, that are, she would be great, so I just know that, so that answer is easy. Um, but <laughs> I don't have anything to plug, I guess, other than my research project, which is ongoing, and you can find me hiding from Alexa Skynet Robots on Twitter at a 
K nerd fighting, um, uh, which is the A, the K, the N, and the F are capital, I think. Or at Prof Tanya Cook, which is less interesting and more pictures of cats. So, <laughs> well, that might be more interesting to some people. So you never know. Yeah, and Tiffany. You can find me on Twitter mainly, and I am at who is tip is me. That is at who is tip is me. I also write for the Game of Nerds, and you can find the Game of Nerds on all platforms: Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. At the Game of Nerds, we're always looking for writers, so reach out. I also want to promote where the money resides, so pay me. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. And you can follow me on Twitter at E April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. And that's where you can find me most of the time is on that Twitter account and not my personal one. Um, you can also follow the show on Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any feedback or show notes, feel free to email us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And next week, we're going to be turning our attention to comedy. And Tiffany and Carla will be back. And then for Living Single, we're going to have Judy on. And then we're going to discuss a different world as well. So that should be a lot of fun. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly with cover art by Carla Timmies. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Erin Amos. And our producer is Lila Tafola. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe. And remember, keep that fandom spirit alive. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, podcast listener, do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.